Hi, my name is David Harris. I'm one of the co-founders of Manitou. Manitou is a consumer privacy management platform that offers companies the ability to cheaply and safely provide transparency and control to their consumers over personally identifiable information. Periodically, we're going to have podcasts of people that are practitioners, attorneys, users, and data subjects to talk about things that matter to them. This is our first podcast. I hope you enjoy it. My name is Daniel Ferris. Uh, I am a partner at KNL Gates. I also co-chair the privacy and data protection practice. Uh, my background is in computer science, uh, and prior to becoming a lawyer, I had uh, a brief career as a software engineer and network administrator. But uh, today I advise clients on a range of issues related to technology uh, and data, particularly in the space of regulatory compliance uh, surrounding privacy. So have you always been in data privacy? Uh, I've always been a geek. So that uh, ties in, I guess. Um, if you remember the the 1980s movie War Games with Matthew Broderick, right? Where he's like uh, using the phone to connect to a modem to call into the Whopper. Uh, about that time uh, in the world, uh, I was developing BBSs before there was really a World Wide Web, uh, at least one that was you know, generally used by the public. So I come by this rightly. I've been a geek uh, since my, my teenage years. And, you know, the last seven or so years, uh, very much on privacy issues as they've emerged and really, I think, taken a more significant place in this legal compliance program, regulatory compliance programs that companies have. Yeah, I mean, so many lawyers go to law school and they get into a firm, right? And they were lawyers the whole time and you have that kind of weird, you know, balance, which is good. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's very helpful, right? Uh, because, uh, you know, oftentimes, especially in, on the security side, right? And some of the uh, operationalizing of the privacy advice, right? I mean, you live here, right? Uh, this is where Manutu lives. So, you know, that piece of getting the lawyers to understand the CIO and the CIO to understand the GC, that's a real challenge a lot of the times. And I can sometimes be the translator, you know, uh, yeah. so it, it works out. So is your practice entirely focused on data privacy? Uh, it's primarily focused on data privacy. I do some technology transactional work uh, in support of other deal work, some uh, entrepreneurial and startup work as well. Obviously, companies in this space tend to be newer uh, yeah. and evolving. So uh, there's also some early stage uh, company work as well. Are you finding in the data privacy space, like, is there a stereotypical client for you? Uh, I don't know if there's a stereotypical client. I think they tend to fall into a couple of areas. Uh, most prominently uh, would be highly regulated companies. Those are the ones, and, and highly regulated non-tech companies, right? So if you think of uh, healthcare, right, as an industry or financial services, insurance, certainly consumer, right, and, and public-facing uh, but anything that has any uh, company that is large enough to have a real reach in their specific industry and where there's a regulatory overlay, 
but where they're not necessarily tech experts. Surprisingly, I represent fewer tech companies than one might expect. And when you think about it a little bit and break it down, it makes some sense. They tend to know tech pretty well. And so they tend to have in-house expertise on privacy and regulatory issues on cybersecurity right. and, and all the, the, you know, the like. But whereas fintech or health tech, it's not the primary thing they're doing. It's an issue that has arisen over the last decade or so as data has become a more prominent asset and has taken center stage. And so they now have all this data and they have all these systems to, in order to automate, right, and be more efficient, uh, but they don't necessarily know how to protect them all or how to use that or how to control that. So that's really where I think the primary demand has come from is would be highly regulated industry. And what are they asking you you know, to focus on. It's interesting. That has evolved over the last, um, you know, probably again, seven years. I use seven years because I think the target breach in 2013 was the sort of seminal moment in, in bringing this to the forefront for a lot of companies where it started making compliance officers and general counsel and directors on a board nervous. And, uh, you know, I think probably the first three or four years after the target breach, there was a lot of focus on breach avoidance and having the ability, hardening systems. Uh, it was more, frankly, technical and operational, a lot of edge security, um, you know, and a lot of preparedness to know what to do in the event of a breach. I think today it shifted. And uh, frankly, this is why I think Minutu is really well uh, positioned. I think the issues now are much more about regulatory compliance uh, and data use, right? So uh, it's moved from the, oh no, how do we avoid a breach realm into the, how do we operate as a business with all of this data that we want to commercialize, that we want to leverage it for competitive advantage or to provide services to our customers or whatever it may be. Um, how do we do that in a way that is compliant, uh, where we are being good sort of corporate citizens at, as it pertains to end users or our customers, individuals, but also, right, utilizing these giant pools of data now, right, the data lake concept to really create uh, insight and using kind of the big data analytics theory to uh, you know, provide value and competitive advantage. And so it's much more about how we operate in these evolving, uh, this world of evolving regulation uh, and, and stay off the regulator's radar. Do you find that the regulations were the catalyst to cause the companies to start asking these questions or were companies before the regs kind of thinking, hey, you know, I have all this data you know, do I have ethical obligations with respect to the data? Like, did you see an inflection point? Uh, it's probably a combination of both. I think the thing that probably created the single greatest spark for this would be GDPR, right? Because you had, certainly in the US um, and, and obviously in Europe, uh, so if we're thinking globally, right, those are probably the largest markets that you'd really be considering this. And you know, GDPR, it's interesting, right? Uh, GDPR was a little bit stagnant. It was being negotiated. Uh, there was a lot of uh, kind of back and forth as the European regulators were trying to kind of settle. You had the Snowden revelations uh, about PRISM, right? And uh, the warrantless 
uh, collection of, you know, cellular sort of warrantless wiretapping. The fact that uh, the U.S. was, you know, capturing data from European leaders like Angela Merkel's, you know, cell phone. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah. I think, really <laughs> galvanized the Europeans. Uh, and then, you know, they... Uh, GDPR essentially was settled, it was enacted, and then went into effect. And the Europeans have a very different view than we Americans on privacy. It's sort of very fundamental uh, to them, whereas, you know, in America, we're sort of used to having uh, all of our data (laughs) collected in blanket ways. So I think that forced a lot of U.S. companies that had sort of multinational operations, or even that were domestic, but were service providers, to large multinational corporations, all of a sudden they had these GDPR obligations and it forced them to start thinking differently about privacy uh, compliance. And then I think as you kind of continue to move along the spectrum, uh, it was not long after that, that you had, you know, the 2016 election, you had the Cambridge Analytica revelations. And I think now the the sort of big brother uh, issues, that feeling of being creeped out by how much information there is about you out there uh, has resonated with, with everyone. And so I think there's a lot of, sort of corporate board members that are much more focused on this. And that has changed where companies focus. When companies focus, like how do you see them like focusing, right? So do they do they look at the laws and kind of think of themselves, here's a bunch of check boxes, or do the companies take a step back and kind of say to themselves, hey, look, you know, there's some principles here that, you know, underpin these laws. Let's think about how meeting the principles as opposed to doing a checklist. Yeah, that's a great question. So it really depends on what the, where the company is and who they want to be. Um, and so let me give you an example. There are decent number of, of certainly my clients, right, or, or companies that I represent and advise that say, look, this is a regulatory uh, overlay. It's a requirement for us. We want to be compliant, but we're not trying to change the world. And in that regard, they're not merely checking the box because uh, the, the challenge right now for a lot of organizations that operate in more than one jurisdiction is that the laws don't necessarily align, right? And so there's this difficult harmonization issue. And that involves sometimes a tension between two laws where they may have regulations or requirements that are in conflict. And so they have to do a little bit of the risk assessment and where they wanna be. Those companies I tend to find use what I call the zebra um, mentality, right? Uh, The reason that zebras have stripes is so that no individual zebra can be uh, picked out in a herd from you know, a predator. That's the way they think about it, right? Be in the middle of the pack, the regulators will leave me alone. Um, and so it's a little bit of a combination of a check the box and the principles, but from a principled standpoint, it's more how do these laws conflict and where do I wanna be and what mit- you know, mitigates risk? There are a increasing number of companies, I think, that are viewing this as a competitive advantage in and of itself, right? And again, I think this is where companies that adopt technologies early, like the Minutu technology, uh, can really lead, right? And really create some of that advantage. Because I think you're right, uh, David, there are definitely companies that are thinking about the principles 
and then thinking what what do who do we want to be as a company as it relates to these issues how do we want to treat our customers and this view you know there are a lot of uh, companies out there that would certainly take something like customer service as a major significant issue that creates real meaningful distinction from competitors. It creates an advantage, right? You come here to get the, the white glove service. They're starting to think about the way they treat data, right? And consumer data and customer data in a similar way, where the way that we treat your data and the uh, options we give you as a uh, consumer of our products or services, that is a customer service issue and it creates a competitive advantage issue. I'm going to ask you, because I get this a lot around like, you know, privacy, right? You know, we've lost our privacy. And I thought your observation about how Europeans look at privacy versus Americans, right? That's the thing that has struck me um, just as a big picture thing, right? Like culturally, how we as people, right, consider privacy, right? And so when you think about data privacy, like how do you, what do you think data privacy means? Well, that's a great question. And I think that ultimately is perhaps the most significant question to be answered in this space, right? Um, and it's interesting, right? You're absolutely right. These societal kind of norms differentiate the way we think about it. Um, and it's a little surprising, right? In America, we have this sort of rugged individualism, right? We are much more about sort of thinking about individual rights than we are societal. Uh, you know, oftentimes socialism is a bad word in the U.S. Uh, and yet we sort of assume, right, that there will be these large uh, programs collecting all of our data and there's very little that we can do about it. Whereas the Europeans who have much more of a uh, sort of social contract, right? That are in fact sort of more socialist in the way that they uh, view social programs uh, and have less sort of individualism than we do in the US actually view data privacy as a fund or data protection or whatever you want to call it, right, as a fundamental right, uh, where uh, the, the sort of theory, right, uh, is that you can't actually have any privacy if you don't have rights to your data. If you can't control your data, you, then what's the point of privacy? Because people know everything about you. We live in a digital world. world. And it's a really interesting um, it's a really interesting question, right? Uh, and not to get too sort of philosophical here, but on the one hand, the European theory is, is probably accurate in the sense that if you can't control or limit government or uh, corporate access to your data, then really how, how much privacy can you actually have, right? So much of what we do uh, in today's world is digital. And so it's database, you know, it's data driven. Um, the inverse is that what you tend to find is that people will freely give their information away um, very quickly uh, in return for convenience. You know, it's an, it, it is truly interesting that where the, the, the Europeans are probably right about the access to uh, information and the ability to have real meaningful privacy without that uh, ability to limit. 
The inverse is that most people will freely give up their data in return for really minor conveniences, number one. Number two, there is so much data out there and the direction is so much, uh, is, is only that there's going to be more collection as we move further into IoT, right? Kind of everybody's life is more online uh, than ever, especially in a pandemic. We're not even physically together in places. So the, the balance that comes in here then is, you know, how much, what, what actually, what attributes about you really matter? And can you actually control those things versus these massive amounts of data that otherwise get collected? And trying to create that balance between sort of giving people real ability to control their information and to keep certain things private versus the ability for businesses to do business. So I've actually, so I've actually pivoted a little, right? Because I get this all the time, right? When I talk about privacy, um, because like you say, like Americans are kind of like, look, I've already given up my privacy, right? Like I walk down the street and, you know, the ring doorbells of my neighbor are watching me walk my dog. So what I've kind of pivoted to more around the data privacy laws is that they're about transparency, right? That, that, Yes, I readily give up my data for services, but I want to know what data I've given up, right? Like it's not fair anymore, I don't feel like for us not to know what we've given up and then decide after we have given it up, right? Some level of control, right? Because look, I'm willing to give up my data to ways to help me get out to, you know, my office more quickly, but I didn't, you know, and I'm, I, cause I want to do that. Right. But I don't want to give up my data forever for that single trip. Right. So what have I given you and what can I do about it after I've given it to you? Um, is kind of like the pivot point for me. Right. That's how I like explain it to people. I agree completely, David. I would also say that the ancillary and tertiary uses of that data. Right. Yeah. So you give up your location, geolocation data to Waze so that you can get from point A to point B and maybe even measure traffic and, you know, make sure that your data is used as well as everyone else's to show where there are slowdowns and better routes, of course, right? But then when you start thinking, well, okay, am I also giving it up so that all these businesses along these routes can target me? Right. And then am I also giving it up for some other additional reason? Right. Beyond that, uh, that's where uh, I think people start to get kind of weirded out. Right. Where there are these really unintended or unexpected uses or consequences of that sharing. You know, the two big principles are transparency and some level of control. Right. And, uh, you know, are people thinking about it like that or not? I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think those are the issues that we're driving at. Yeah, because I, I do think while there are still some, you know, advocates, zealous advocates out there, I think the idea that you're ever really going to be able to kind of be off the grid ever again, um, I guess if you live in a, a cabin in the woods in Montana, maybe. Uh, but even still, uh, unless you're, you know, you're, you're burying your cash uh, in your backyard, I mean, there's, there's really no way to kind of be, you know, data neutral, right, uh, in this world, so. One last big question, right? What do you feel like people should know about this space? Like if you, if you had two minutes to kind of say, look, here's the one thing to really focus on in this space, 
you know, what would that be? Well, I think probably the, the major guiding principles would be what we were just talking about, right? I think there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of fear. Um, I think people are more driven by sort of the stick than the carrot. I would shift the focus. I think you can really gain competitive advantage by being ahead on this. Uh, I think you can make your sort of customer base feel much more secure uh, in interacting with you. And I think to your point, giving over control to individuals to know, right, uh, that transparency issue, know what data they're giving you and why, right? And kind of what that transaction cost is from a data standpoint. And then the accountability piece, right? The, I want to stop this, or I want to be able to control certain access. I don't want this being, you know, used and reused over and over again and, and sort of having those unintended consequences. I think that's really where we're driving uh, with, with privacy. And what I would say is if companies that stop looking at this as a strictly a regulatory compliance issue and start looking at this as sort of a competitive issue where uh, it's another lever, right? The same as brand uh, or customer service or anything like, you know, in similar, right? A customer experience, it's part of that uh, and, and start driving towards it. I think those will be the ones that, you know, the companies that do better. Uh, whereas those that continue to view this as the begrudging, I just have to do this because the regulators make me will tend to lag. Um, yeah. And so that's, I think, probably the, the, my best advice in terms of how to address these things going forward. Yeah. yeah, Dan, look, thank you. That was like totally helpful. Like, I appreciate your time. I know how busy you are. It is a Monday morning, right? So the last thing you want to do is like, look at me on a Monday morning. Right? I don't even want to look at me. I've turned my I can't even look at me on a Monday morning. <laughs>